I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. From Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the Thessalonians church that is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to all of you. We always thank God for all of you, and we mention you constantly in our prayers. This is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Brothers and sisters, you are loved by God, and we know that he has chosen you. We know this because our good news didn't come to you just in speech, but also with power in the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know as well as we do what kind of people we were when we were with you, which was for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord when you accepted the message that came from the Holy Spirit with joy in spite of great suffering. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The message about the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place. The news about your faithfulness to God has spread, so that we don't even need to mention it. People tell us about what sort of welcome we had from you, and how you turned to God from idols. As a result, you are serving the living and true God, and you are waiting for His Son from heaven. His Son is Jesus who is the one he raised from the dead, and who is the one who will rescue us from the coming wrath. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you'd be seated, please. It's good to be with you all here this morning as we begin a new sermon series. As I was working on this sermon this past week, and then the, our, our district superintendent, Ernie, came by. It came to me and it came up in our conversation that it was this Sunday, the first Sunday in June of last year, that we began to worship in person again after taking our time off uh, due to COVID. For those of you that are back in person, I appreciate you being here. For those of you who have not yet joined us in person, I hope that you'll do so soon. I know our online worship has met a need and continues to meet a need, but it doesn't replace being a part of the body of Jesus Christ and being with other believers so that we can share in accomplishments, so that we can grieve together, and so that we can come together as the body that God has created us to be. And so we all need to work together this coming year as we strengthen our church, as we strengthen our participation, and as we also focus on as individuals on our faith and growing to and with one another. Like I mentioned a moment ago, this morning we're going to be starting a new sermon series. And so in this series, we're going to be studying two letters of Paul. And it's First and Second Thessalonians. And so the title of this series is Marathon Faith, because in one of the commentaries I was reading about this, these books of the Bible... They made this comment that it's faith is to be a mar- it's like a marathon. And it got me thinking that this is certainly one of Paul's recurring themes. If you think about some of the other letters that he has written and some of the other ways that he references athletic competition in ancient times to the spiritual life. He compares them. And that's because he wants the early Christian community, whether it was in the city of Thessalonica or whether it was in the city of Ephesus or Corinth or Rome or anywhere he was writing and he was part of, he wants that Christian community to see 
that the Christian faith is to be something that is lived out every day. It's not to be something that is short-lived and fleeting, but it is something to be applied and practiced and grown into each and every day. I think many of us know that, that there is a lot of preparation that comes with being a successful sprinter or whether it's a marathon runner. And what Paul wants us to see is that in these letters, the Christian faith is not a quick faith. It's a marathon. I found this marathon. It's running through somewhere in Israel, some ancient path that, uh, oh, it was Saul. Saul ran or something like that. And so I thought it was kind of a fun picture. But we know to prepare for something like this, it takes commitment, it takes devotion, it takes setting a goal, and it takes completing and sticking with running or accomplishing whatever it is, even when one starts to get tired or worn out. And so what Paul wants this earlier Christian community to see, and Paul wants us to see, is that we have to have devotion and focus towards growing one's faith and discipleship. And so our life that we share together, our life as Christians is not short-lived. It's not a quick fix for your ills or your shortcomings. It's not often solved quickly. It's not like a sprint, but it's more like a journey on the lifetime of improvement. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. As Paul writes two letters to a city, in, to a church in the city of Thessalonica, and so I encourage you to take some time this week and the next few weeks to read these books of the Bible. I think Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians is five chapters and, and 2 Thessalonians is, well, I don't know where it is. Um, I just skipped it. It's that short. It's three chapters. And so these two letters, just to provide a quick background, are dated about 50 A.D., Paul is writing these letters from likely in the city of Corinth, which you can see Achaia down here on the bottom part is the city of Corinth. Uh, Thessalonica is farther up. It's that lightish or white square uh, up located on the north part of the Aegean Sea. Thessalonica was a city located on a thriving seaport, and it was about 200 miles north of Athens. In addition to its location, it also had major trade routes. If there's anything that I think I can repeat every time I write or read or write a sermon about Paul and his ministry, is what we're going to notice is everywhere he goes, he shares the gospel, and he's always in a place where there's a lot of people going through. And so friends, Thessalonica is no exception to that rule. Paul's going to a place that has a major seaport, so there's lots of ships and sailors coming in and out. Paul's in a major place where there are roads that come, so there's lots of travel passing into the city and out of the city. He's planting churches wherever he knows that people are going to receive the gospel, are going to encounter the gospel, and then they're going to take the gospel out to wherever they are going and whatever they are doing. And so Paul and Silas end up in Thessalonica. This is their second missionary journey. They've been in the city of Philippi. They've had a very successful ministry there. And then they've likely gone on to Thessalonica in 49 to 50 AD. If you want to read about it in the book of Acts, go look at Acts chapter 17 and read verses 1 through 9. It's very short, but it tells us what happened. Paul arrives in Thessalonica. He is teaching about the resurrected Christ in the synagogue. 
This is where he often began his ministry, if we look in his other letters. And the scripture tells us that he explained and demonstrated that Christ had to suffer in order to rise from the dead. This message resonated with many who were in this Jewish synagogue, who were devout, also devout Gentiles, and some of the leading women in the community. And this conversion and this growing group of people, some think Paul was only in Thessalonica for a little over three weeks. So in this short time, Paul was able to build something that was big enough that there were those outside of the faith or outside that began to look in and say, this is something that we have to stop. This is becoming a threat to who we are, to what we believe, to what's going on. And so they formed a mob and they drove Paul and Silas and Timothy from the city. They escaped to a neighboring city called Berea, which you can see is just Thessalonica's there at the top of the map, the yellow circle. Berea is the next circle, the red one that comes down. And so they go to Berea and they start to teach there and the mob has followed them. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy go farther south down to Corinth. And then it's in Corinth that Paul sends Timothy back into the lion's den of Thessalonica, poor Timothy. By honestly, I think they were focused on Paul, right? The mob was. And so Timothy is to go back and he's to find out what happened. He's to hear reports of what's happening. He's to encourage the church. He's to see what's going on. And the news that he brings back fills Paul with great joy. See, friends, Paul learned and was joyful even as he learned of the challenges that the Thessalonian church was facing. He was joyful even as he learned of the persecution that they were experiencing because of their faith. And so Paul encouraged the Thessalonians for where they were as a church and where they were as individuals in their faith. He was able to see how the Holy Spirit had had gripped this fledgling Christian community and how the message of Christ had gripped their hearts and had taken hold of their lives as they began to show evidence of transformation. This is like the marathon, though. They'd begun to show evidence of their transformation. It wasn't complete. But what Paul wants them to see is how well they've done in responding to the grace of Jesus. And he's getting ready to correct them in the verses that we read today, but but he's not correcting them yet because he's taken a minute to build them up. And so what Paul does is identify the the foundation and the base that they already had to their faith. Instead of just admonishing them, he begins by by encouraging and pointing out the positives of what the Thessalonians are doing and what he has seen and heard that they are doing as followers of Jesus. All right, I think this is one of the first things that I think you and I can share and see and experience and learn from in this scripture is how we respond to this type of correction. I don't know about you, but we all know coaches, teachers, bosses, who are able to help and to correct and to help us adjust our behavior, our swing, our action, whatever it is, without tearing us down. And how do they do that? Usually they do it by beginning on the positives, right? By saying, here's what you're doing right, here's what you can build off of, here's how you can improve. They help you to establish your foundation or your base, and then they point out ways that you can grow from there. 
Most good coaches, teachers, or bosses who can do that do it naturally. And sometimes we don't even feel corrected until after they walk away and we realize we've just had a lesson, right? But we still feel equipped. We still feel prepared for, for what is before us and what we need to do. This is what Paul's doing with the Thessalonians, isn't it? He's not coming in with the bat swinging, trying to knock things down and get things straightened out right away. He's coming in and he's saying, here's where you're strong. Let me point out your strengths. Let me point out what you're doing well. Let me point out how I've seen and heard that God is working in and through your life. And then let me show you how I, you, I believe you can build on what you already have to become an even stronger follower of Jesus Christ. And so in our scripture today, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians for where they are as a church and for where they are as individuals of faith. He doesn't begin by admonishing or correcting. He begins by helping them see the, the value of who they are and what they're doing as followers of Jesus. So that they have a start. So that they can see where they're beginning as a Christian. So that they can know that there's already something that they're doing right. So that his encouragement and even his correction later will not be seen as a negative. But it's going to be seen as a positive as he helps them grow in their faith. He also points out in verses 6 through 10 that the Thessalonians had begun to imitate Paul and his companions in the way they lived out their faith and responded in their faith. Basically, he says, you've chosen to live differently because of Jesus. You've chosen to turn from worship of idols to only worshiping God, and you've follow, chosen to follow the resurrected Christ. And in our scripture today, there's a verse that jumps out at me. In verse 3, Paul uses this phrase to describe the Thessalonians' faith. He says, We always thank God for all of you when we mention you constantly in our prayers. This is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you think of these verses, think of other passages from Paul's letters. Are these verses not consistent with his overall theme and his recurring theme of the way that he teaches and of the way that he establishes a foundation on which the Christian life is to be built and on which the Christian life is to be lived? Maybe if I reorder them, instead of saying, instead of saying faith, love, hope, isn't it faith, hope, and love? If you go and read Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13, what does he talk about? He talks about love, he talks about living, he talks about faith, he talks about love, or about hope, and then he says, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But is this not his recurring theme of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It's consistent with his theme. And so he begins by telling the Thessalonian church that their, their work in faith their work that comes from faith was evidence of who they were and what they've become. They'd begun to follow the resurrected Jesus and, and receive that newfound faith in Jesus. And it was a motivation of who they were and for how they were choosing to live in response to God's grace. 
See, what Paul's saying is, I know that faith is working in your lives. And at its best, your faith that is working in your life is a faith that is out of work. It's not a faith that is idle. It's not a faith that that is um, not doing anything, but it is faith that is providing evidence through the work of what people are doing. The faith of the Thessalonians was alive. And Paul is going to do nothing but celebrate with them. And I think one of the questions that we can ask ourselves as we can read this is what, in what ways does my faith lead me to action? What way is my faith or, or, or my lead work leading me to be at work? Or in ministry or in service to other people? You'll notice as he commends the Thessalonians for the work of their faith. He doesn't say for those of you that have chosen to work. He says, I commend all of you for your work that is evidence of your faith. And so he celebrates the work that they're doing as a product of their faith. And we should celebrate the work that we share in as a product of our faith in Jesus. And if we need to, we need to find ways to make our work a product of what we believe. Paul also tells the Thessalonians that they have a love that was active. And so their effort in the practice of faith comes out of their love for God. Their Thessalonian, their faith, their love is active. It's demonstrated through their actions and through their words. It's a love that's modeled off the love that was shown them by Paul and Silas and Timothy, as he says in verses 6 through 10, all three of them shared and modeled this love to others and that they had received from the disciples and the disciples themselves had received it from Jesus Christ. And so their love is active. And an active love is one that leads us to serve others. It's one that leads us to connect to others. And it's one that leads us to be a part of something that is bigger and greater than you and I could ever do or be on our own. And then Paul commends the Thessalonians for their hope that is abundant. What does it mean to have abundant hope? They had a patient. They had a sustaining hope for for the return of Jesus and for God's work in their lives. And and their hope is not fleeting. It's not temporary. It's not placed on things that, that are fleeting. But Paul says your hope is abundant. It's abundant in in being demonstrated in the way that you live. And it's abundant in in how you demonstrate who you who you are and, and how you've chosen to follow Jesus. Folks, I want to be known as someone who lives and who has an abundant hope. In the way that I live, in the way that I serve, in the way that I love, in the way that I offer myself and live in response to God's grace. Friends, our hope is apparent in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, and in the ways that we choose to follow Jesus. And we can all ask what keeps us from having that kind of hope. Not a hope that's tiny and is parceled out, but a hope that's abundant. 
See Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonians at the beginning is to encourage them and to remind them as he reminds each of us to remember the work that comes from faith, to remember the ways that we can live in love, and for us to have a hope and to live a hope that is abundant because it's in Jesus Christ. Amen.